Uh, we are back in Matthew 13 in the parables uh, that we've been going through week by week. Um, and we're here at the Treasure in the Pearl, two very short parables. Um, we've prayed, and so uh, Holly's very family said that she'll read it for us. For two verses. Uh, three verses. Three. Is it right? So. From the beginning to the bottom. Uh, it's all to, just read the one. Go on, just read the one at the top. 44. Yeah, because yeah, we'll go straight into that. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Great. Thank you very much. That's where we're starting. That's where we're going to spend the first half. The second half is going to be on the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a merchant of fine pearls. And uh, he had many pearls, but then he found the one great pearl and sold all he has and bought that. Um, Some of you may know, because I think I've said before, but when I first moved to this area, I lived in Streatham Hill overlooking Tootingwet Common. And um, a card was put through my letterbox by a man called Mr. Yassim. <laughs> now, has anyone other than John heard of Mr. Yassim? Uh, but that's because for the same reason. I think I've, I think I've come across this oh, card that's come through. We've all met him. Uh, <laughs> has anyone from out of London heard of Mr. Yassim? <laughs> okay, well, Mr. Yassim uh, claimed extraordinary things on this little card. Uh, normally, I just throw away junk mail. Um, but this calling card promised absolutely extraordinary things. And so I'm going to read it to you, um, so that you might hear what Mr. Yassin said. Mr. Yassin, it said at the top, nobody can beat Yassin, born gifted. If you have a problem that has not been solved by anyone in this world, or you think your problem is impossible to solve, ring Yassin immediately. Your entire problem will be solved in seven days, guaranteed. For example... Business, financial problems, agreements, career, depression, separation from the person you love, domestic problems regarding husband, wife, children, health, exams, court cases, immigration problems, pain and stomach pain, illness and disease, hair grow, lose weight, studies and sexual impotence or any other problems, asthma, to stop bad addiction, like alcohol and drugs, to be a winner, to be high rank, just ask. No matter what your problems are, he can help you to solve them in seven days. <laughs> Yassine's work is 100% guaranteed. If any healer has left your work incomplete or unsuccessful, see Yassine immediately. Yassine has the high knowledge of removing problems from people. The result? Believable. <laughs> Call Yassine now for an appointment. Mobile 07947219917. Telephone 02086239583. Email bestresult786 at yahoo.co.uk. <laughs> Journey Road, Streatham Hill, London, SW2. One minute walk from Streatham Hill bus garage. Station, Streatham Hill. Buses, 50, <laughs> 57, 60, 107. 159, 201, 249, 250, 255, 315, 319, 333, 417, P13, G1, N133, N137, N159, N250. That's the end. 
Now, I read that to um, one friend whose reaction was absolutely deadpan. I remember it well. He just said, well, it just shows you how well-connected Streatham Hill is. (laughs) 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 But in all seriousness, if I had somehow been taken in by the promises Mr Yassine makes, I would have been a complete idiot, wouldn't I? I mean, the very fact that no one has ever heard of him and he makes all those claims suggests that he hasn't had a great success rate. If he had, he'd be the most famous person in the country. And it's quite sad that people like that are putting cards through people's doors, isn't it, and uh, pretending that they can help them when they clearly can't. But in these short parables, and as we've been studying what Jesus has been saying about the message of the kingdom, we see Jesus offer us something even more outrageously spectacular than Mr. Yassine. He offers us something for which no price is too great to pay. He offers us the kingdom of heaven. And as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about what is the kingdom of heaven? And I suppose the simplest definition is that the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is king. Now Jesus claims that he is the eternal son of God. That he's the one who the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, has pointed forward to for hundreds, in fact thousands of years. Promises about the Christ, the Messiah, the great king who will be perfect and come to rescue people and bring people back into relationship with the God they were made to know. That is Jesus' claim about himself. He is the king, and trusting in him, you join the kingdom of heaven. And in these very short parables, Jesus wants us to see that having him as our king, letting him direct direct our lives, is something of immeasurable value. Something it's worth giving up everything for. These are wonderfully encouraging words, telling us that it's worth following Jesus. But I suppose at the same time, they are immensely challenging words, if you're anything like me. Because the question is, do I live like this? Do I live as if Jesus is this treasure, this great pearl? Am I prepared to live like this? Well, the two parables we're going to look at are quite similar There are a number of differences between them which we'll focus in on, but the key similarity is simply this, and I think it's there on your sheets. No, it's not, Uh, but it's there. We haven't done the pattern, have we? Let's see if I can put it up. It's worth giving up anything for the kingdom of heaven, or it's worth giving up everything for the kingdom of heaven. It's worth giving up anything for the kingdom of heaven. Literally, Jesus is saying, if it were a financial deal, then you would sell everything you have to be part of it. That's the simple message of these parables. But there is a slight difference between the two, and so we're going to try and draw that out by taking each in turn. And as Jim said, we're going to look at the first about the treasure in the field, um, and then we'll have a break and we'll look at the second. So first then, the treasure in the field. And you might sum it up like this. A straightforward Investment, A straightforward investment. Let's read verse 44 again. You've got it in front of you on the sheets there at the top. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, 
He hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had, and bought that field. So here, presumably, we have got a a farm labourer, or a tenant farmer. He's someone who's ploughing away in his landlord's field. It doesn't belong to him, but he's working away. And as he's ploughing along with his ox in front of him, as he's guiding the plough, it suddenly stops with a jolt. And he's probably quite annoyed, and he gets down, and he starts to dig away at a rock that he thinks is there. But as he digs away, he discovers something absolutely amazing. Treasure, more treasure than he could ever imagine. He's found the find of his life. Something that will change his life forever. And so he makes sure no one else has seen. He covers it up with old. And then he heads off to the landlord and makes him an offer he can't refuse. We read it quite quickly, but it's pretty dramatic what he does, isn't it? Just have a look at that phrase at the end of verse 44. In his joy, he went and sold all that he had. I mean, it's not just a few savings, stocks and shares... It's not just that he sold the car. No, it is a very, very dramatic decision. He sold everything he had. But you also notice that in this story, that is no sacrifice at all in this guy's mind. He's not thinking, oh, should I? There's no sense in which he's umming and ahhing over the loss of his car or his PlayStation or his house even. He knows that he'll soon be able to buy ten cars, a massive mansion with everything in it that he wants. He'll be a multi-millionaire. He's not going to miss out on anything at all. He's just making a straightforward investment. Buy the field, and it'll change his life. And so that's why in verse 44 it says, In his joy, in his joy he went out and sold all he had. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like that. If we really understand what's on offer, of course we'd be prepared to give up anything. And joyfully, in order to get it. It's not like there needs to be, as we so often think there needs to be, there's no choice between our happiness and Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is actually telling us that to pursue his kingdom is to pursue our joy. And that completely shakes our society's view of Christianity, doesn't it? So I suppose the people around us, our colleagues, our friends, guys at school, they think that following Jesus Christ means you have to exchange pleasure for pain. You have to exchange excitement for boredom. And they assume that the reason that we go to church is because by being a bit religious, we can increase our chances of getting into heaven. That's what people would think. That we're doing our duty, and sometime we think God will repay us for that. And I suppose if we wrote this parable, in the way that we so often live our lives subconsciously, it might go something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure chest hidden in a field. We could start it like that. Which a man found... And in the chest was a letter saying, in ten years' time, this chest will fill with treasure. So the man went home and realised that 
it was probably worth living in poverty for the next ten years in order to be rich one day. And so out of a sense of duty, he goes home, he sells all that he has, and buys that field thinking, one day I may be much better off. Well, if that's the case, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if people gave up left, right and centre being a Christian. Why would anyone carry on? What would motivate us to? I know that I'd give up, because at some point, the, although the promise of heaven is huge, the reality of the here and now seems so much more real and immediate. And after a while, we start to doubt whether that letter has any value. See, if our lives became a more painful drudge following Jesus Christ, well then we'd give up pretty quickly. And maybe we'd think, if I just wait until my deathbed, then I can come back and just re-sign the insurance policy before I die. But Jesus won't let us think like that. He won't let us see the kingdom of heaven like that. Now he's very clear elsewhere that there is a cost in following him. He says again and again that the Christian life will not be easy. We'll continue to experience the daily grind. We'll continue to get ill. We'll continue to get frustrated. We'll continue to struggle with sin even. And for the first century Christians, they knew it all too well. Persecution was far higher then, far, far higher then than it is for us today. And I imagine those of you who are at the Somali conference know that for many Somalis who would consider putting their trust in Christ. Persecution is very, very high. And the Apostle Paul says, for anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. There is a cost in following Jesus. But, Jesus is saying, if joining the kingdom of heaven does not bring a joyful sense of purpose and freedom and direction to our lives well then we can't really know the same king. Because Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's written under our logo on our flyers. That famous quote from John chapter 10. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he doesn't want us to slog through life trying to find a place in heaven, trying to earn a place in heaven. In fact, quite the opposite. And Jim was um, quoted the, this verse earlier on. It's there on our sheets, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says this, these famous verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We so easily fall into that trap, don't we, of human religion. We start thinking that what we do, the fact that we come to church, the fact that we might help out in the local community, the fact that we read the Bible, the fact that we're morally good, better behaved than other people, that that those things are what secure us a place in heaven. But if being part of the kingdom of heaven is about being religious and morally good, then can it really be full of joy? Surely that's just a bit of a burden. And then as we really look at the standards that God sets, 
earning a place in heaven becomes utterly burdensome, doesn't it? Depressingly impossible if we think about it. Because heaven is a perfect place. A place of totally unblemished, unspoiled, perfect relationships. A place full of perfect kindness and goodness. And when we think back, when I think back just to the thoughts of the last few days, the last week, and the words and actions, I realise that they're full of imperfections and nasty words and cruel thoughts. I would make heaven a worse place to be in. I might compare myself with other people, prisoners and rapists and murderers and so on, and think that I'm fine. But when I compare myself with the perfection of Jesus, then I haven't got a hope. No one has. Jesus wants us to realise that in and of ourselves, we are massively burdened. We're weighed down with sin. The way that we ignore God, the way that we treat him as if he's irrelevant most of the time. And if we try and sort out the problem of our sin by trying to earn a place in heaven, then it will just remain like an increasing burden, weighing us down. There is nothing, no amount of being religious that can reunite us with the God that we were made to know, the God who we've offended. But Jesus says there is a way back to God. He says... In that verse on the sheets, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now we know that he can say that because of the very reason that he came. Jesus came to die. And as he hung on that cross... An extraordinary swap took place. Jesus willingly took on himself my sin and your sin, our burden, if you like. He took on himself the rejection from God that we deserve. As he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you rejected? Why have you burdened? Why have you cut me off? He was forsaken. He was burdened so that we could be forgiven. And I think my favourite verse in the Bible is there at the bottom of your sheets. Uh, no, it's the next verse actually in, in the middle there. Um, it's there, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 21. We looked at it last week and I think it's my favourite because it summarises the Gospel so simply and clearly. It says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the sinless son of God, was treated as you deserve, so that you could be treated as Jesus deserves. What an amazing exchange. What a mind-blowing love. No wonder, Jesus says, it's like discovering treasure. And so Jesus is asking us, he's asking you and me, do I want to swap my life of selfish living, where I fail to live up even to my own standards, let alone God's, do I want to swap that, my life of sin, where it's ever growing as a burden, 
when I realised that I could never get myself into heaven. The life that would lead me into a painful, desperate, eternal situation, separated from the God that I've chosen to reject, who hands me over to that desire to be independent from him and says, if you choose that way, you will be without me and anything good for all eternity. Jesus asked me, do I want to swap that for full forgiveness, for a restored relationship with the God that I was made to know, with God as my Father, who loves me as his child? Do I want to swap that rubbish for a life of purpose, serving the one who's in control of the universe? Effectively, do I want to swap death for life? Of course, it's a straightforward investment, isn't it? Yes, please, should be the response. You see, we can't create a false choice between our own happiness and living for God. No, our own happiness and living for God come together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, verse 44, it's like a man who in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. A straightforward investment. Well, we're into the uh, second parable. And I gave a paraphrase of it earlier. Let me read exactly what it says under the title there. An extravagant devotion. In fact, before I do that... um, Why don't you think about, as I read it, why I've called it an extravagant devotion as opposed to just a straightforward investment. Uh, Let me read verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now this one I find more challenging. The slight difference to a straightforward investment, well, you see, a straightforward investment, that's just a wonderful gift, of course, I'll take it. It's an easy decision, do I want to swap the rubbish that will lead me to eternal separation from God to hell itself, or do I want to have the life that I was made to live, given in Christ? That's an easy decision. But this second parable, it's not so much about the good investment, it's about the quality and the beauty of the treasure itself. This merchant isn't looking at the financial benefit that the pearl offers him. He is simply mesmerised, gazing wondrously at the beauty of the treasure itself. He's so mesmerised by this one pearl... It's just extraordinarily extravagant, isn't it? That he sold all that he had to get it. And you start to think, well, he's got this amazing pearl, that's wonderful, but where's he going to live? What's he going to eat? It seems totally obsessive, doesn't it? And that's the challenge that Jesus presents us with. Have we recognised the magnificent beauty of his kingship, of his lordship. Because if we have, then we should be like this merchant, extravagantly devoted. 
You see, the kingdom of heaven is all about knowing and loving the king. And so unlike this parable, it's a relationship, not a transaction. I suppose the um, closest illustration is, um, for me, is my wife, Lucy. Now, um, this is where Lucy gets to look down and feel embarrassed. But there are two ways that I could respond to Lucy. I could respond to her just objectively, by recognising that she has very admirable qualities. She's great looking. She's above average at cooking. She's very intelligent. She's nicer to people than I am, as you've probably experienced. She makes an excellent life partner. And therefore, objectively, it is right that we are married. In fact, we've been contractually committed to each other since the 19th of September 2009, and that is a perfectly reasonable and sensible decision that I made. Now, if I... uh, (laughs) I was calling that into question. But if I talk like that... If I talk like that, then you'd be right to give me a slap and to say, wake up, Alex, where's the love? Where's the passionate devotion? Where's the affection? Where's the delight? Where's the gazing lovingly into each other's eyes? Where's the enjoying time together, the lifelong love and devotion? I can't just objectively admire her. Marriage is so much more than that. And I suppose we're meant to think that there is something slightly balmy, slightly weird about this merchant's obsession with his pearl. However beautiful it is, because in the end it's just an object, isn't it? It can't do anything. But that kind of extravagant devotion is entirely appropriate towards the Lord Jesus, because there are no limits to his qualities. See, we cannot marvel enough at the gloriousness of our God, and yet we struggle, don't we, sometimes, just, just to praise him out loud. Unless we've got songs written to music, we even struggle to say those kind of wonderful things. But it is mind-blowing, isn't it, that the all-powerful creator of the universe would demonstrate his glory and his love most powerfully towards us through his mercy. It's a plan that no human being could ever invent, isn't it? In fact, no other religion comes close to having a rescuer, a saviour like Jesus. The fact that our salvation, the fact that our relationship with God is based on the total humiliation of the God that we are called to worship. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? And yet what a beautiful plan of love and mercy that the eternal Son of God would agree with his Father that he would reduce himself to the status of a poor, despised human being. To become like us, to become worse than us. To end up nailed like a common criminal to an instrument of torture. Then in his bloody, naked shame, he took on himself all the sickening thoughts and actions that we've ever committed. He burdened himself voluntarily with that. And then he died. And as he died, so too, my sin died. Dealt with and buried with him. So that as I put my life in his hands, I become the righteousness of God. Have we got that verse up there again? 
2 Corinthians 5.21 It's there on your sheets again at the bottom. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is amazing grace, isn't it? And so no wonder Jesus says in these verses, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, that would actually never happen to a sensible merchant of fine pearls, would it? They would never sell everything they had to buy a single pearl. But Jesus is saying it is like that. It is worth giving everything to follow Jesus. But I suppose, and I hope, that you're starting to think in your minds, but what does this actually mean in practice? Should I go away just straight away and sell my house? Should I just give up everything? Should I, I mean, what am I going to eat tonight? And I think the answer is different for us each in our different situations. But essentially it means that everything we own, everything we own, and everything we do is only given to us so that we might enjoy it in relationship with God. Everything we own and everything we do is only given to us so that we might enjoy it in relationship with God. So that in everything we are depending on him, in everything we are living for him, in everything we are delighting in him. Because we're convinced that it is the best way to live, because this is the relationship that we were made for. So all those things we do, all that stuff that we own, they're designed to be invested in that relationship. That's what this man did, he invested everything he had in that one pearl. When I started to understand this for the first time, I'd, I'd been a Christian for a number of years. And um, I, I remember listening to someone who has become one of the favorite, my favourite preachers to listen to. And if you've ever heard me speak, you'll know who that is, John Piper. And wonderfully, if you've not signed up for the weekend away, you should, because he's coming to speak at it. Um, but uh, the most mind-blowing thing he said, uh, I remember talking about you know, glorifying God in everything we do. He said this, he said, do you even have a category for what it means to drink orange juice to the glory of God? (laughs) Or if you've not heard him, I I think he said it more like this. Do you even have a category for what it means to drink orange juice to the glory of God? And I had to turn down my earphones (laughs) because it's so loud. But actually, he could have said it quietly because it is just mind-blowing. Do we even think like that? As we eat our Sunday lunch, do we think... I can enjoy the flavours of this delicious meal. I can enjoy the company around me because my God has given them to me. And knowing him makes this meal taste better. Has anyone ever been to a really, really, really nice restaurant on your own? Sat on a table on your own. Anyone ever done that? You don't know. How was it? Weird. <laughs> okay, so you had absolutely amazing food. But when was this, Jim? Simply doing it for somebody else. On a business trip. Okay, okay. So you were the meal was paid for, for, but you had to enjoy it on your own. 
I was hoping that everyone would say no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jim's a weirdo. But actually, the very fact that Jim worked and found it a really weird experience, we, we can relate to that, can't we? You can have something absolutely delicious and wonderful, but if you can't enjoy it in relationship with someone, it's just not fulfilling. You know, ever thought about the weirdest thing we always do together, going to the cinema? We always do it together, and yet it's the most antisocial thing you can possibly do. Two people facing a screen and someone else talking to you and the lights dimmed and you, you don't need to be there. But why do you go? Because afterwards you want to talk about it. You want to deepen, you want to experience it in relationship. And that's because we were made that way. We were made to experience life in relationship and not just with one another because we let each other down, don't we, all the time, again and again. And those people that we want to spend time with, sometimes we don't want to spend time with them. The people that we love the most are the people we end up hurting the most. And Jesus is saying, but the desire to do things, to enjoy things in relationship, that is a God-given desire. And if you sell everything you have, if you invest everything you have, if you pour everything you have, if you see everything you do in the light of your relationship with God... Well, then it will be like that merchant with the fine pearl gazing into the beauty of it. A pearl can never provide that, but the Lord Jesus can. And so as we go to work, we go to work with him. Think about that tomorrow. That might be a prompt to, to read the Bible, to pray on your way to work. Ask him to speak into your situation. Go to work with him. Do work alongside him. Ask for his help. Depend on him. Delight in the fact that he's given you employment and income. Delight in the fact that he's given you skills and and, and ingenuity and insight. And try and serve him in everything you do. And in everything we should be excited by that forgiveness, the hope, the purpose that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do... We should be longing for others to experience that relationship too. You see, if we're constantly aware that we are doing things in relationship with the God that we are made to know, we'll constantly be aware that other people are missing out. And our desire to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ won't be a sort of finger-wagging thing of, you don't have what I have and that's because you're naughty. It'll be, I long for you to know him too. He He just makes everything come alive. He's like... Being at that delicious meal, but having my loved one opposite me, and enjoying it with them and talking about the flavours. Life makes sense with Jesus in the picture. Why wouldn't you tell people if you're convinced that Jesus is that beautiful? And maybe you're not convinced that Jesus is that great. And just from a couple of parables, this shouldn't be enough for us to think, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with this. We need to look into his life. We need to read the gospel accounts and see do they stack up, does it make sense, do the claims that Jesus makes about himself are they reliable but once we're convinced well then we need to be like that merchant of fine pearls you see he used to have hundreds of other beautiful pearls but when he found the one pearl of great value well he invested all the rest in that one pearl and that pearl became his top priority It's not that those other things disappeared, did they? But he sold them and invested them in that one great pearl. Because that was the thing of immeasurable value. 
And so are all the things that you own and do focused in on the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have heard that on some islands in the Indian Ocean, they have a very, very clever way of trapping monkeys. Remember what that is? They take a coconut, they drill a hole in the coconut, and they drop a little peanut into that hole. And the, the, the hole is just big enough for a monkey to fit its hand in, but when it clenches over the peanut, it can't pull its hand out. And the coconut is often tied to the other end of a tree. And a monkey with its hand in a coconut is very easy to catch. But just think of the tragedy of that. There are peanuts all over the place. There's food all over the place. But that monkey, because it's so desperate for that one peanut that it's got hold of, is never going to let it go. And so it gets caught and it's killed. And you just think about it, don't you? That monkey lost its life for one pathetic peanut. It's hardly a great exchange, is it? Life for a peanut. But I do think at times we act like that. And sometimes as Christians we think like that. And we hold back on sharing the wonderful good news of Jesus because we diminish the wonder of knowing him to the value of something like a peanut. We think that Jesus will cramp our lifestyle. We think that his lordship over us will restrict us. But we need to hear those words of Jesus again and again. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that will motivate us to follow him, to listen to him, to obey him in everything. To hand over our lives to Jesus as our king. Because so often little things can seem worth holding on to. Career aspirations, lifestyle, money, they can seem so important, so necessary. They seem to be worth just sort of ignoring Jesus for at the moment. I'm focusing on this. This is more important. But in eternal terms, those things, if we chase after them for themselves, they're not wrong. Peanuts aren't wrong. But they are pathetic. And we don't want to lose our life for one pathetic peanut. Rather, let's pursue our joy wholeheartedly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And why don't we uh, pray, and then let's have a time of uh, discussion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this really, really simple, but uh, wonderfully deep parable. Thank you for the challenge that it is to us. And we pray that we would see that you are of ultimate and eternal value. And therefore investing everything we have and everything we do into you is the best investment anyone could ever make. We pray that we would see that more and more as we get to know you better. And that our joy would overflow as we live the life that we were made to live in you. In your name. Amen.